You're listening to The Driven, the podcast that gives you the news and the views, the ins and the outs on electric vehicles. The Driven is presented by Giles Parkinson, the editor of Renew Economy and The Driven websites. And it's brought to you by the NRMA, who are leading the charge in helping Australians transition to electric vehicles. By rolling out Australia's largest regional fast charging network, along with advocacy and education, the NRMA is making the electric transition more accessible for more people. Hello and welcome to this latest episode of The Driven Podcast. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the founder and editor of The Driven, along with its sister sites or brother sites, um, Renew Economy and One Step Off The Grid. And joining me is lead reporter for The Driven, Daniel Bleakley. Daniel, how are you? Very well, thanks, Giles. Thanks for having me. Well, <laughs> it's a pleasure, <laughs> of course. Integral part of the team. <laughs> True. <laughs> um, yes. Um, Hedda, we're going to do the podcast once again in two parts. Uh, first of all, we're going to have an interview and then we'll sort of get back and talk about some of the uh, latest developments in the EV world. But first up, the interview. Now, we, you uh, got together with Atto Girl, um, I think is her moniker. Um, real name, Sarah White, I understand. And um, why is she so special? Yeah, well, Sarah actually started posting um, posting on Facebook back in January um, her journey, which was from, so Sarah's from Perth and she has a uh, BYD at 03 and she decided to uh, cross the country in it to, to visit her daughter who was performing at a concert in, uh, in Sydney. So, yeah, she planned out the trip and... Um, yeah, went the whole way across from from Perth to Sydney, and she documented the the entire trip on on Facebook. And as a result, she she ended up getting a lot of people um, following her on her on her journey. It's fascinating stuff, and um, and she's written about it really really nicely. And um, you actually interviewed her and, and, and did a great story, which was uh, really well read on the Driven. Let's have a listen to your interview with Sarah White, or otherwise known as Atto Girl. Well, thanks very much for joining us today, Sarah, also known as uh, Atto Girl, Atto Gal, sorry, from your your incredible um, journey across Australia, which you which you documented on on Facebook um, a couple months ago now, I think. But um, but yeah, I'm really excited to to chat to you about your experience, and yeah, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks very much for inviting me. It's um great to be here. It's been great to see the interest in my trip which seems a really long time away now. And also this week the this week and this year, the ever-increasing interest about EVs and driving in general and the, the hopefully fast and ever-increasing charging network that we're getting across the country. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. It's almost like every week there's new exciting news coming out in the, in the EV space and you can really see that, that things are accelerating. And um, yeah, a big, a big part of that is getting the community uh, on board, which um, your your journey and your your social media posts re- have really have really helped boost. So, yeah, I just wanted to start start out by um, asking you h- how you how you ended up getting into EVs. And um, yeah, so just for our listeners, you're you're actually based over in in Perth. Yeah, Perth based. So originally, um, I think a lot of people may have read the article, but originally, like I said in there, I didn't really have any experience with EVs up until about 12, 15 months ago um, when I started to, um, 
I, I met somebody that had a Tesla and then drove quite frequently in that and then drove some country drives with the Tesla and sort of started to realize that this electric vehicle that I previously thought was a bit strange and a bit odd and quite, you know, without any experience and without any knowledge about them, I just thought it was sort of one of those left to field things that might take off, it might not, but it all seemed a little bit complicated to me, um, was actually really straightforward and could easily be used for every journey and every trip that, you know, anybody needed to make with, you know, a medium sized car, which was the experience that I had um, with the vehicle that I was traveling in at the time. So that grew my enthusiasm about the EV um, concept. And then, um, after doing a few country drives in that electric vehicle and seeing that it was possible to do the longer distances, because previously, like a lot of people, I thought, well, you know, an EV is okay for the metropolitan area when you're close to charging points and you've got home charges and commercial charges in the metro area. But I had my doubts about the um, viability of them for longer distances. We did a couple of trips ourselves to the south of the state, um, 500 kilometre one way type trips with you know, one or two charging stops in between. And I realised that that was actually something that was fairly straightforward to do and didn't take all day and to charge. It was, you know, hour here in my car, two hours, say, but in a Tesla it was, you know, only 40 minutes or whatever at a faster charger. Um, and when I was looking to replace my vehicle, which was a, a thirsty V6 ice car, um, I started to look at the possibility of replacing it with an EV myself. And you ended up uh, going for the, the Addo 3. I think you initially looked at the short range one, but then you decided on getting the long range. Is that, is that right? That's right, yeah. <laughs> Originally, I looked at the short range thinking, oh, well, you know, tootle around the metro area, it'll be, it'll be plenty. But then after doing a couple of the longer range trips, realised that that extra 100 or so Ks in the, in the pot wouldn't be a bad thing to have given the cost difference wasn't very high and so changed my order at the last minute, both, the, both from standard range to... Um, to long range and from blue to team grey. Yeah, nice. <laughs> so very happy to receive that just before Christmas last year. Yeah, amazing. And so what, what's the range on the on the Addo 3? Um, the advertised range is 480 kilometres. Um, real world, obviously, as you know, depends on your driving style. Um, in the country, about 350 or so. Um, I tended to work with my trip once I had more stats up my sleeve conservatively um, 0.25% per kilometre or 0.3536 depending on the weather and the climate conditions and the speed and the topography. Yeah, wow, amazing. So so you got the Addo 3 and then when when did you decide that you were going to do this epic trip across across Australia? So just for our <laughs> listeners, um, as far as we know, you're the first person to cross the, cross the country from West Coast to East Coast uh, in an Addo 3 and then you did it, you did it back the other way again so you essentially cross the country twice crazy enough to do it twice in two weeks yeah i think um i had been to quite a few of the tesla wa club meets over the um, year last year and around september time two of the guys there had um, two of the first model wires delivered in wa and did the the full lap one went clockwise and one went anti-clockwise around australia which was a bit of an inspiration you know um there's still a lot of doubt about the ability for these car, electric cars to do that kind of a distance. And then when I saw that my auto was hopefully going to be delivered by the end of the year, I thought, well, maybe it could be possible that I could also do that, that kind of a journey. But I didn't have the time up my sleeve to do a full lap. 
And um, as it happened, my son was going to be performing in a, um, a singing performance in Sydney in January. So I thought if I was able to get my car in time, maybe I could start planning to do that kind of a trip and I could be the first one to go Perth to Sydney and back wow. in an auto three. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's amazing. So, so when you were planning the trip, um, take us through some of the things that you had to, to plan out for, with, with your, with the different charging stations. Cause um, cross, crossing the Nullarbor plain, I mean, I, I know there's, a, there's a few charging stations along there now, but, um, yeah, you would have really had to plan ahead at that stage, I guess. Yes, I did. Um, spent a whole weekend nerding out with an Excel spreadsheet and a map book and um, a better route planner and plug share with my partner, um, mapping out distances between charging points because at that point we didn't really know because I hadn't owned the Atto and the, you know nobody in Australia had owned an Atto because they're new to the country, we didn't really have a clear understanding of our range, so we had to be fairly conservative about um, making sure we had sufficient charging points across the way. But fortunately, um, at some of the previous Tesla meets, one of the gentlemen there had mentioned that I could take a DC fast charger on board, which would mm. change the capacity of my car from just using a standard um, single phase plug and getting seven kilowatt max charge, which would take a really long time, given the distances I was doing, to um, converting the AC to DC and then getting 21 kilowatts. Mm. So that made a big difference in how I could plan the trip. But what it meant is that I needed to find 32 amp three phase plugs across the way because that particular charger or convert DC charger that requires 32 amp plugs in order to operate. Yeah, right. Okay, wow. And so um, what were some of the charging stations like across the, the Nullarbor? Because I think it was the Tesla owner group, WA, they kind of helped in setting up a couple of those charging stations. Is that right? I think they did. And also the Electric Vehicle Association, WA, had a big hand in setting up some of them. Um, the WA side of things was not too bad. South Australia was pretty poor. And then once they got across the border into New South Wales, they've got the NRMA fast chargers, which was a dream after having to struggle through South Australia. Um, across the Nullarbor, the roadhouses at Baladonia, uh, Kaguna, Madura Roadhouse, Mundrabilla, um, and ooh, Nullarbor, no, Border Village. They have 30, 32 amp power available. And then um, there are some private um, businesses across the south just into the south australia border who have 32 amp plugs available on plug share and you know but for them it would be a very slow journey so i'm really grateful they exist and that they're happy to have people charge at their businesses yeah fantastic and were, were most of them just kind of standalone charging stations or did you also charge at some like destination charges overnight at, at hotels and stuff um, there was only a couple of destination charges. I had hoped to find a 32 amp free phase at Port Augusta, but that was really my most sticky point because um, once I got to Port Augusta, there were no 32 amps available. It was really late at night. I was super tired. And the only charger that was available in town that night was at, I can't remember, one of the, the hotels in Port Augusta with the destination charger. But unfortunately, that one only... I think it might have been dialed down and I could only get 3.2. So it was a very, very long night mm. charge and I wasn't really sure how long it would take and, you know, what time I could leave the next day. Um, Port Augusta, it, it amazes me that they haven't got anything better than that at the moment. I'm hoping yeah. that the South Australian government will see it as for what it is, which is a really major transit point for people across the country. Mm. Um, 
on my way back, you may have seen, I actually was able to contact the council and give them permission to charge from a 32 amp public um, charging spot, but it was attached to a public toilet in one of the main. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I did see that photo, actually. You had some pretty amazing photos there. <laughs> yeah, it's not an ideal place to charge, you know, up onto the pathway, but it certainly generated a lot of conversation with people passing, wondering why on earth a car was charging from a toilet block yeah. in the centre yeah, of the wow. city. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. And so um, did you uh, generate a fair bit of, oh, I'm guessing you generated a fair bit of interest from, from the locals. Um, you, you've got a few photos in there with, with people from, from various communities. Was it, did people come and ask you about the car? Absolutely. Yeah, there was a lot of interest. I think um, it was nice to be able to demonstrate to people of what was possible. Certainly, um, you know, you had the usual <laughs> incredul incredulous people that was sort of wondering how on earth it was possible. And then there was a lot of conversation and interest in obviously having the DC in the boot because mm. that was something novel. Um, but being able to just demonstrate the ability of the car and answer the questions. Obviously, you get the usual range questions and how does it charge? But a lot of people were very interested. Um, it, it created a lot of discussion over the practicality at the moment of EVs mm. throughout that regional area. And certainly, you know, a lot of people had very valid responses to the fact that where they live um, and the distances they do have to drive on an everyday basis, there really isn't the charging infrastructure for them at the moment. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and no one is at the moment saying that everybody should be driving an EV. There are places in Australia where that's not possible at the moment. Um, yeah. And for some people with, um, you know, heavier needs, farming communities, that kind of thing, it, it's not possible now either. So there was always a respectful debate between us all and, and generally people were very interested and very open to talking about EVs um, wherever I went, which was lovely. Yeah, fantastic. And did, were there, did you come across many other um ev drivers along that same same route along the nullarbor plane no i actually didn't i didn't come across any on the way wow. at all i don't think no not until i got right into sydney um yep no definitely not on the way there and on the way back there were a couple on the outskirts of sydney and in regional new south wales but certainly once i got further into new south wales into broken hill and into south australia there was there was nobody um, so yeah, I was on yeah, my own, well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which isn't really surprising because it was still a little bit of a mad thing to do. Yeah, well, yeah, you've 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 done it and you've proven that it's that it's possible now, and hopefully, you know, those um those uh, the charging network um, starts to accelerate a bit more now. It would certainly make it easier. Yeah, definitely. And was it was there? Did you notice a difference between the states? You mentioned that South Australia. Mm. Um, still a bit lacking. Once you got into New South Wales, regional New South Wales, um, was there was there a few more options? Oh, for sure. The minute I crossed the border um, into New South Wales, there was the NRMA fast charges all the way. So mm -hmm. right from Berry all the way into the city, one I think one two three four five six seven fast charges just dunk 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 dunk, and it was a dream because there were multiple charges to choose from. They were operational. They were free, which, you know, they won't be forever. But for me, that was a real bonus. I could just park up, fill up, go and have go and have my dinner or my lunch and then come back. And it was it was just a dream after battling through South Australia where um, I was fortunate to find a winery in the Clare Valley, the Claymore Winery, shout out to them. Um, mm -hmm. They had a 32-amp plug there, but it did take a really long time because the 
trouble with um, free phase 32 app plugs is that it's great if they've got 32 app circuit breakers, but if they've got 20 app circuit breakers, um, the speed obviously has to be reduced because you don't want to blow the fuse. And so some of those more private places are more difficult to charge at because mm. you, don't, you don't want to be blowing their power while you're charging your car. <laughs> but yeah, really grateful for them to have that um, available, that service available to drivers. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to the day when the Tesla superchargers are open more generally. I know they've got the trial at the moment, but it was a bittersweet moment driving past the superchargers in Clare to go and park at the winery for three and a half hours <laughs> on my Yeah, slope. that's right. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, and they, they, I think they have. St- I think they've started to open a few in New they South have, Wales. Yeah. And there might be three or four, but um, yeah, hopefully they roll that out across the the, the Tesla network as well. Yeah. But Some um, through the Clare Valley would be great. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think I've charged, I think it was either northern New South Wales or southern Queensland, I charged up at a um, a winery as well. And I was like, oh, this is an amazing spot to it's a great to, uh, to, to fuel up. So and that's one of the, the benefits of EVs is that, you know, you can put these, put these charges in really nice spots. Um, and then you don't, you, you know, you don't have to stop at a smelly petrol station um, makes the, the, the trip a lot more pleasant. Absolutely. I think there's a big gap in the market there for people who own this type of business, cafes, small pubs, wineries, boutique bars, um, just to pop a 32 amp outside, advertise it as such on plug share and watch the people roll in. Basically, you know, if you've got a place where people know they can come for a nice feed or a glass of wine while they're charging, they're definitely going to be the destination of choice rather than sitting on the side of a road on a highway for sure. Definitely. Definitely. Um, and now, also in your in your story for the for the driven, which um, we'll try and post a link to that um, in the podcast on the podcast page, you've also got um, a, the the spreadsheet where you've actually you've documented all the um, the costs and the charge rates of, of all the charging stations across the country, which is pretty amazing. Um, so yeah, I want to get your thoughts on on the the different costs of of charging stations yeah. along the way and. And how much did it actually cost you to to cross the country? Well, it was actually a bit of a drum roll moment. I hadn't tallied it up as I was travelling because I thought, well, let's just wait till we get back. And when I sat down to do it, the total cost of charging for the trip was less than $450, so $448.34 to be precise. And I thought that was remarkable to go for 8,600 kilometres worth of driving and get back for less than $450. I was pretty happy with that as an outcome. Was that over and back or just over? Over and back. Over and back. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So going going over was 254 and coming back was 194. And a lot of that is even over the odds of consumption prices because some of the places have a flat fee, $50 or $30. Mm. Um, and that's for convenience. So I don't begrudge them that at the moment. Um, it's, you know, they're there, they needed. So I'm grateful to pay really whatever they charge to get get what we need to get across where we need to go yeah so theoretically that price will even come down over time as it could um, be. Yeah. yeah amazing yeah, i guess it depends uh, what what prices people are you know what the company is going to charge per kilowatt for the commercial stations yeah yeah and i guess as competition as the network grows as competition mm. grows there'll probably be um be price drops as well so do, do you know how much the trip would have cost if it was a, a petrol car I haven't done those comparisons. Um, and mm. Obviously, it depends what type of vehicle. Um, anyone's welcome to work out 8,600 kilometres, but uh, I definitely think it'd be a lot more than that. So Probably close to a couple thousand dollars, I would have thought. Yeah, it may be. 
Um, obviously, that's, you know, it, it, was, it takes a longer time in an EV and, and I would never argue the point with that. But one of the things that I found quite positive about my trip was because I had to stop and pause every two to three hours for a charge, it meant that I was relaxing, having some downtime. I could have a snooze, go and chat with people, refresh, you know, have some food. And it really, the kilometres that I did, I don't think I would ever have been able to do those distances in a, in an ice car because you just don't take that time to rest in between. Yeah. So that was a really, really unusual, unexpected experience, really, being able to. Yeah, so to... you kind of you, you get to stop and you get to stop and take in the scenery a bit more. You do, and you get to visit a whole bunch of towns that you wouldn't normally visit. Um, in fact, one of the things I've lamented in the, the rollout of the charging network is that we probably will lose that feature of travel because whilst the convenience factor will jump, that stopping to chat with the locals while you charge up in back of the way places that you wouldn't normally visit will be lost. So yeah, yeah. I think there's there's good call for both because some people will just want to get to the destination as fast as possible. But if those businesses um, can offer a place to go and charge and refresh, I think that they'll still be used quite a lot in those small towns. Yeah, definitely. And, and it's, it's really um, a lot more of an adventure when you when you have to figure that kind of stuff out. I remember <laughs> when uh, <laughs> when I did uh, coal miners driving Teslas up, up in Queensland, I um, when I took uh, Bob Catter, uh, went up to Charters Towers and there was no, no um, fast charging station up there then. So I ended up going up a day early and um, stayed at this, just stayed at a local pub out the back. And um, yeah, I had to had to run an extension cable in through the door, sleep with the door open overnight, and and plug it in. Basically, I had to unplug the kettle and plug in the the Tesla so that I could so that I had enough charge for the for the next day. But um, but yeah, I mean that they're, they're all good stories, and um, it's all part of the, the the transition. Part of the fun, I think. One of the things is that the three phase thirty two amp plugs are so easy and cheap to install yet make mm. such a big difference on charging timeframes for people that, you know, why wouldn't you be all over that of the business? Because it's going to bring people to your your business, bring in extra income for you, and it's a win-win really. Yeah, absolutely. So um, the, the, trip, the trip back from Sydney, I guess you would have felt a lot more confident. You knew where you were going. Um, did you did you go exactly the same? Did you stop at the same? No, I didn't. I shook it up a little. <laughs> on the way back, I went the northern route. Um, one of the problems with the trip over was that the fast charger at Wilcannia, which was the first one over the South Australian border from Port Augusta for me, was actually out of action and had been so for about six weeks. So mm. when I was planning the trip, it was a real sticking point to find out how I would get from the South Australian border into Sydney across that little bit that's between those two areas before the fast charges started. And I ended up going through Clare, which is how I ended up at the winery. But on the way back, um, it was very easy to plot the distances between the fast, the NRMA fast charges across the top part of New South Wales. And and it was a dream. It was was the easiest. It was, it felt twice as fast as going because it, it was just one after the other, after the other pull up, charge, you know fast charges at every stop it was it was a really nice drive back and the contrast between leaving the city and then going over the blue mountains um unfortunately the weather was against me that day it was obviously a beautiful area i'd love to go back 
but it was a bit drizzly and, and not so great the day I was there. But then the contrast between that and then going down into Bathurst and all the farming country through that area there, um, Dubbo, Wilcannia, Cobar, and then into Broken Hill with the mining um, community through there. It was a fascinating drive to go through there. It was, it was a really great drive. Some of the scenery through there is breathtaking. It's amazing. Yeah, and some of your photos are, are really amazing. And I encourage listeners to to check out the um, the story and also your your Facebook page. What, what's the Facebook page called? It's called Atto Gals EV Adventures. Okay, great. And you and you were basically posting every day as I you did. went and I did a little the, summary for people back home, and then it was surprising that a lot of people were interested, and then a few more people came on board, and it was really beautiful to be able to share the trip with them. Obviously, I travelled it alone for three quarters of it um and then being able to share the journey and have feedback every day it was it was really nice to be able to share the pictures and that experience with people back home and also to just you know the Atto hadn't been driven that far so get a few statistics and find out how it handled across that distance was really great as well yeah and how many how many k's have you got on the clock now (laughs) i've just got (laughs) uh, just under twenty-one (laughs) thousand. Oh wow! Okay, so the bulk of just running for its second service. <laughs> okay, nice, nice. Um, and you mentioned what? So one of the charges was was down. We, we've had a we've had quite a few um, mm. reports from people with frustration of um, of charges being kind of out of out of service. The um, and the U.S. government recently announced that they're going to they're bringing a um, EV charging standard, which um, for all uh, government funded or, or any charging networks that receive government grants, they've got to meet uh, an uptime uh, up um, threshold of, I think it's 97% or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of the charge, uh, some, a lot of the charges in Australia wouldn't, wouldn't actually meet that, that threshold. So yeah, just keen to know, did you, did you um, experience um, quite a few charges that were out of service or was it just the one? I was really fortunate that on my, based on my plan, because I only planned basically about 10 days before I left. It was a little mm-hmm. bit last minute, really. Um, so we had checked plug share and planned accordingly. And actually, of the charges that I had planned for, only one was out of action. And as it happens, it was my last one before getting into Sydney. And I was already on a TikTok clock because my son's concert started at seven um, at the University of Sydney. And at I think about... 10 past six, I was still a fair way out. And I yeah, did wow. have this very last charging spot on my plan, got there, tried to connect, nothing, tried to connect, oh. nothing. It was just <laughs> your heart sinks and you think, no, I'm not falling at this late hurdle. So, you know, quick jump on plug share and a bit of a panic. Um, I'd actually gone to the wrong side of the highway to get to that one because it was the fastest one available and then it, <laughs> it actually wasn't. <laughs> A bit of a a bit of a frantic remap and reroute, but um, I found one, and then and then actually, um, one of the high, best things about the trip, the highlight for me, was scraping into the concert just as they started singing. Um, oh wow! So, yeah, it was a really beautiful <laughs> outcome, and I couldn't have really planned it. So it was just the universe was <laughs> was on my side for that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It would have been it would have been an absolute tragedy if you had to like get an <laughs> get an Uber for the last like it um, really few would. Yeah, the shine would definitely have come off. <laughs> yeah, but where, where there's a will, there's a way. I remember another another time up in Queensland, I was in, in Townsville and I had, I think I had like five kilometres left on, on the charge and I'd, mm-hmm. I'd, I'd planned to get to this um, this uh, 
charging station. I won't say which network it was, but um, <laughs> when I got there, it was out of action and I was like, oh no, I'm not going to, you know, I'm, it's I'm not part of my plan. Kind of yeah. So I ended up, there was a, a service station, which was about a kilometer away. So I, was, I managed to get there and then the, um, the service station attendant let me run a cable into the, into the, uh, their garage. <laughs> and I sat there for an hour and I think I got another 10 kilometers on the charge and that got me Just to another, another charging station. So yeah. Yeah. I think you've got that's, to be prepared for that when you're taking this kind of a journey, don't you? But um yeah, absolutely. And I think I that's, want it that's, to be at the last minute if possible. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I mean at, at the end of the day, um electricity is almost everywhere. So if you do yeah. get into a real bind, um, there's always gonna be a way out somehow. But but yeah, these kind of things are gonna slowly become less and less relevant as the as the network rolls out more. That's it. And I think that's part of the reason why the journey back was less stressful than the journey over because I did have that deadline. Whereas I knew on the way back, if I had to spend overnight somewhere to trickle charge, that would be fine. It wouldn't be an issue and nothing would be really impacted by that. So that also helped. I think one of the, the trickiest range anxieties for me was the um, the Baladonia to Carguna um, run across the Nullarbor. It was only on day two and I didn't really have a handle on how much range the car used at any point in time. So that was the trickiest one and lesson learnt not to just charge to what you think you need. <laughs> Give yourself certainly another 10% buffer so that you've got that um, that range if you need it, should there be headwinds, a thunderstorm, you know, a mountain of trucks yeah. or <laughs> something. The weather was against me that day and it certainly added to the adrenaline. Yeah, definitely. Um, and so... Um... You got back to Perth. Um, I guess your story kind of was is getting out there, and um, um, yeah, I want to to ask whether um, some of your friends or family or, or people that you've interacted with have have kind of decide also decided now to go electric as well. I don't know as there's been any firm decisions made in my personal network, but I know that there've been a few people, um, sort of extended people that have made that commitment and placed orders and I think that's a really good thing and certainly the more people see them around on the roads you know the Auto 3 had only just started being delivered but they've had lots more deliveries since then it becomes a whole lot less alien doesn't it with familiarity um, yeah and that will only snowball I think as as more cars get on the road and more people are using that technology and pretty laid back about it once that initial range anxiety goes and you sort of get in the car in the morning know that you've got x amount of charge and it's unlikely that most people on their daily commutes will go through their whole you know 350 kilometers of range so for the most part range anxiety isn't a thing yeah exactly and are there any do you have any um more trips planned at the moment or are you just staying put in in uh, perth for a while staying put for now um it was certainly a two-week blur. <laughs> um, I would like to do a trip up to the Midwest. So we recently had some charges installed on the way to um, Calbarry, which is about seven hours north of here. Um, oh. There's a, a big push to get the charging network rolled out there because it, it is quite an isolated area. Um, I recently, an out of three driver in Perth, recently did that big trip and found it relatively smooth sailing. So that's probably the next one on the list. Okay, fantastic. Um, well, yeah, it's been great to chat with you today, Sarah. Um, 
Um, yeah, I encourage encourage all our listeners to to check out your Facebook page, which is Ado Gals EV Adventures. Um, go and check out some of the the amazing photos and and all the all the posts there. Um, yeah, and um, yeah, thanks for sharing your your story with us with us today. And um, yeah, ho- hopefully um, hopefully we see the the charging networks um, develop a bit further as well. Yeah, thank you for having me along and hopefully I'll have to plan some more trips to get some more adventures up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Certainly good fun. Well, if, I, if I can do that trip, I can drive anywhere, right? <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks very Thanks much, Thanks for having Sarah. me on board. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. And that was uh, Atto Girl, uh, a.k.a. Sarah White, um, <laughs> interviewed by Daniel. Daniel, um, pretty interesting stuff. I mean, it's really sort of fascinating insight and just the sort of the practicalities of actually just getting in an EV and just driving a really long distance. In this case, about 4,000 kilometres more more than that from Perth to Sydney and then back again. Um, and then just some of the issues about charging infrastructure and things like that. Yeah, that's right. I mean, Sarah, um, she's she's very organised and she she planned the whole trip, but but obviously there's quite a few few things that didn't go to plan and she had to, to divert to different places and um, and charge at some pretty unusual places but but really that's all part of the part of the adventure and I think um, yeah I think um, like a lot of people who, who have um, got into this EV journey early on it's it's all about figuring things out as you go and um, I think what Sarah's done is has been amazing not only for the community but also to to highlight some of the the weak points um, in the network. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? A lot of the early adopters had a certain mindset which sort of allowed them to sort of you know sort of circumvent some of the problems. But as EVs become like a mass market thing, and other people just not really interested in the adventure as it were, they just want to get from A to B. They're not going to be so tolerant of um, charging infrastructure problems. I bumped into one representative of a um, of one of the major car makers at the Brisbane Truck Show last week, which we'll also talk about, and. Um, he was spitting chips. He says, "I am just sick of coming across charging stations which do not work." Yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> once the charging network is there, it's going to be it's going to get a bit boring for us pioneers who uh, who've been doing it for years. But but it needs to get there, and and it needs to get there fast. Really, this is this is accelerating, and um, and yeah, these frustrations or the these um, the problems with the charging network are really going to deter a lot of the the next wave of EV owners. So it's just vital that um, that the government gets on top of this and um, and make sure that we have a a strong network that's that's well maintained and has a, a, a high uprate time. Absolutely. So when they're sort of handing out money to some of those um, charging stations and some of the infrastructure, they should. Um be um, be setting very high uptake or uprate times or whatever, just <laughs> times when they work and holding them to it. Yeah, that's right. I, I think I think uh, from memory, the the Biden government recently introduced a uh, uh, policy around um, charging uprate times. I think I think for a for a company to get government funding, it, it has to have an uprate time of over ninety five percent or or something like that. Maybe it's ninety seven percent, but um, but yeah, I think a lot of people out there would would question whether that's um, whether our networks are getting that that kind of reliability. So um, yeah, I think the government really needs to step in with with strong standards on this. And that'll be both federal government and state mm-hmm. governments. Um, talking about uptake, um, let's just make a brief visit over to China. Um, you had a fascinating interview in the last uh, episode of the Driven Podcast with Tony Sieber. 
which was just great and lots and lots of people, thousands of people listened to it, um, tens of thousands I think. Um, and he made some interesting forecasts about China, uh, the EV uptake there and many other interesting forecasts and uh, I recommend that anyone who hasn't listened to that podcast um, download it or just um, flip over and, um, and have a listen. But um, China's come out with some latest data, I think it's for April, um, one quarter of the new car market, fully battery electric, um, one third plug-in. Um, it's pretty amazing stats, isn't it? It's, it's, it's accelerating quickly. Yeah, it's it's extraordinary. And yeah, as as you say on the on the previous podcast, uh, Tony mentioned that he's predicting it's it's going to get get towards fifty percent in China by by the end of the year, which is just extraordinary. And um, yeah, we also covered a story last week uh, by uh, on a, a report by German insurance company Allianz, who's really highlighting um, the the threat to European auto uh, automakers because the basically the Chi- the Chinese EV markets moved so quickly uh, that the the Chinese EV automakers uh, now have a, a big advantage in in production over a lot of the the European manufacturers and and other manufacturers so yeah, it's Ch- China is is just going at an astonishing rate, and I think the that Europe and and the US and other regions are starting to to cotton on to that and and to respond. And um, yeah, they're mm. they're going to need to really. And, and just some sort of more some some more statistics about how far China is ahead. Um, I went to the Brisbane Truck Show last week, which is like the premier event in Australia for for the trucking communities, of which I think there's about half a million people working in the industry. It's a huge industry. We keep on forgetting that. Um, and it was just interesting to see uh, there were new electric trucks being rolled out. There was new hydrogen trucks being rolled out, but it just seemed to be so far behind um, Europe. I went to the uh, Hanover Fair. Um, last uh, September and that was just fascinating to see every single truck on show was either electric or hydrogen with just one or two exceptions yet here you had to sort of dig dig into the weeds to actually sort of find the electric trucks and hear a few promises but it was fascinating to hear some of the very same trucking companies that were sort of touting electric as the future in Europe uh, out here just sort of touting more diesel trucks, more diesel trucks and one of the fascinating statistics I came across was that um, China produces well over 90% of the electric buses which are on the road around the world and over 80% of the electric trucks which are on the road. So, you know, we, we have this sort of view about China and, you know, um, you know and, 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 it's, and, and the way it dominates the wind and solar industry is also just sort of quite remarkable, but it's absolutely dominating the EV industry. And that's actually going to start making its presence felt. BYD is doing, its, is doing really well in the Australian market. It's going to be fascinating to see how some of the other Chinese manufacturers do in the Australian market. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely incredible. And, yeah, you mentioned 90%. Um, of was it ninety percent of buses are made in China? Yes, yep, that's yeah. right. Yeah, over ninety percent of buses and eighty percent of the um, of the uh, of the trucks. That yeah, and and yeah. I mean in Australia here we're still we're still at 02 percent of our our bus fleet is is electric. So the the contrast is just couldn't be couldn't be starker really. Um, I'm interested to know at some of the truck uh, truck stands were were people talking about. EVs at all, or could they see them on the horizon, or was it was it just kind of 
ignoring it completely. Look, I think some of them, yeah, some of them see them on the horizon. It was interesting talking to some of the companies there. I mean, there's a couple of, you know, Australian startups. Um, it was Tony Feather from SEA Electric, who you interviewed a couple of episodes ago. Um, there was the guys from Janus, who was sort of specialised in sort of battery um, replacement, um, using sort of secondhand trucks instead of doing a diesel fit out and, and refitting the diesel engine. You'd sort of replace it with a an electric motor and, and you get these sort of um, replaceable batteries as you're going up and down the highway. Um, you know, Volvo, um, really impressive Swedish truck maker talking about basically nothing but electric. Um, others talking a little bit about electric, but because of the Australian market and because there are no standards and no requirements and we've only just arrived at about Euro 6 standards, I think, and there's a year of sort of heading off towards something even more stricter. So, you know, it's kind of like the last dumping ground as it has been for cars. Um, you know, take your dirty truck down to Australia and um, and off you yeah. go. So, um, and, and one of the things I think some people found frustrating was that heavy trucks basically didn't get a mention in the National Electric Vehicle Strategy. So, uh, yeah, a lot to be done. Mm. And, and is there also frustration around some of the, the standards on the, the width and the, the front axle weight as well? Did, did many pe people mention that? Yes, a couple of people mentioned that, mostly Volvo and Mercedes, um, uh, Mercedes-Benz. So the width, I think, is more of a problem with Volvo. They've just designed their truck. They need to be about five millimetres wider, I think, which is not, uh, well, maybe it's five centimetres wider. Um, but the big issue for them is the unique weight limits on Australia in, in Australia. So basically, it's the front axle. Uh, can't be more than six and a half tons, whereas Volvo needed to be seven and a half tons um, to be able to support the batteries, which are on that part of the truck and over the front axle. Um, now, the irony is, is that if you've got a heavy duty truck, which can often weigh about sort of 40, 48 tons, it can be empty and therefore only weigh about sort of, you know, 15, 17 tons, but wouldn't be allowed on Australian roads because the weight limit over the front axle is too much so they've got to get that changed now look apparently there's a lot of support um, for this to be changed and there's not really any objections but it's just a matter of just getting through to the, the local governments and the state governments and the federal governments but they've been working on it for 18 months and still sort of waiting to hear so it's one of those really just sort of things you just think well guys really if we're just serious about this let's just pass this through let's get this done um but you know yeah, some council engineer out there is worried about this bridge and um kind of holding it up so look you know i kind of kind of get it but um yeah i think a bit more education um, look daniel um before we wrap up why don't you just tell us a bit about this a fascinating um, report from morgan stanley about the battery industry and the metals and i guess it's important for australia because you know we've just sort of signed this compact with the us and it's like a recognition that australia can be a really big player in that market um, what did that, um, and it could be worth tens of billions to, to the Australian industry. Sometimes we, we hear about this thing that, you know, Australia's lithium exports could rival that of fossil fuels. Um, I'm not too sure whether that's going to be true or not, but um, what did that report tell you? Yeah, th this was a, a fascinating report and it was, it was great to spend some time looking into it. Um, I, th I think it was about 100 pages all up and, and there was about 36 Morgan Stanley analysts that, that worked on it. So it was extremely uh, comprehensive. But basically what they've done is, is to map out the electric vehicle supply chain globally. And um, what they've shown is that, that basically 90% of the, the electric vehicle supply chain currently is, is coming out of China. Now that's, that's um, refined um, materials, batteries, all that kind of stuff. Um, 
So there's a huge concentration of the supply chain at the moment, and that's obviously, as, as we've discussed, because of, of China's huge lead on, on electric vehicles. But, but Morgan Stanley is saying that um, they've kind of broken, broken down three different scenarios that, that could play out from here, where either China continues to dominate or Europe, uh, regions like Europe and the US uh, start to implement policies that, that enable them to develop their own um, supply chains and, and they're kind of saying that well really that's what they need to do because of because of all co- kinds of reasons but but you know economic and, and national security are are included there and um, yeah the report says that they're going to need something like seven trillion dollars worth of worth of investment over the next few years um, and also they also mention Australia they say that uh, three there's something like three nations um, make up uh, 75% of all the the, the, the raw mater- raw minerals, um, which which is mainly like your lithium and nickel and, and so on that, that go into batteries and and of that you know Australia makes up 50% of the world's um, lithium supplies. So um, we you know we're supplying half the world's lithium at the moment. Um, but but ninety four percent of that's going to to China, and um, that's unrefined as well. So we we do a little bit of refining in Australia, but but the majority of lithium refining is done in in China. So it's also you know a huge opportunity for Australia if we want to if we want to value add to our um, our resource industry, we can we can set up more lithium refining here in in Australia and and value add and. And obviously, as you said, that that compact will also open up markets for that in the in the U.S. It seems like an obvious thing to do, and um, you know, when people talk about sort of you know um, Australia being a renewable superpower, then sort of part of that is not just sort of sending electrons or molecules overseas in the form of cables or hydrogen or whatever it is. It's also just sort of thinking smart about the industries and actually sort of you know doing some of those ad- ad- advanced um, you know those added value like refining, doing it in Australia and then exporting green products because you know if we've got the minerals and we've got the renewable energy to do it, you know, process these things with zero emissions then um, that's really what's going to make Australia um, a, um, a, a superpower in the, in the future world. Yeah, that's right. And I think just one, one more thing to mention there is, you know, the, the, the supply chain for the traditional automotive industry, that's, that's kind of been developed over, over 100 years, kind of in- incrementally. Uh, so a lot of these legacy automotive companies, you know, they've probably made changes slowly over time to their, their suppliers. Um, but now, all of a sudden, they're going to have to make huge, complex changes in, in the matter of a few years. So, yeah, I think we're just going to see an enormous amount of activity coming up. Mm. Okay. Well, look, I think that's a bit of a wrap for this week. Um, thank you very much, Daniel. Um, thanks for um, your interview with Sarah White, a.k.a. Atto Girl, on her trip um, from Perth to Sydney and back again. And um, look, thanks, of course, to NRMA for sponsoring this um, series of interviews and podcasts and uh, do check out the previous uh, episodes of the driven podcast particularly one with tony sieber that uh, daniel did a fortnight ago check out also the latest energy insiders podcast we had ragu balor from enphase which is a fascinating interview about sort of de- decentralized energy and what goes on in the house and the impact that that has on the grid and also a really good interview on solar insiders with andy mccarthy one of the sort of the the trailblazers in the australian solar industry who sort of grew up in a coal region and was sort of kind of ostracized for what he was doing and and, and just his fascinating 
talk about you know the lessons of the solar industry. Anyway, that's enough for now. We'll be back again in a fortnight with a, another interview and another episode of the Driven Podcast. Thanks for listening and um, bye for now. The Driven Podcast was brought to you by the NRMA, who are leading the charge in helping Australians transition to electric vehicles. The NRMA offers advice, online communities and EV loans to help drivers at every stage of their electric vehicle journey. And with their ever-expanding regional fast charging network, the NRMA is committed to ensuring all communities remain connected.